about. So in our first talk with Father JP, we discussed what we want our lives. He emphasized the point of not doing the bare minimum while displaying how true freedom is not society's definition, but rather what we should do and how we should let God transform our lives. So now it's time to talk about what God actually wants for our lives and how reconciliation plays an important role in our walk with God. But first, let's pray it out. Dear Lord, thank you so much that we've been able to come together today and get to be immersed in your love and mercy and getting to meet so many wonderful followers of you. And please let this talk be fruitful and beneficial to at least someone. <laughs> and just please let us all have a good rest of our day. Amen. Okay, so to begin, what does God want for our lives? It tends to be different than what we generally envision for ourselves. Um, as 20 to 30-something adults, these visions may you know, include for us you know, scoring a dream job or moving to a brand new city, getting married and starting a family, going to grad school, or even buying a house. Um, the further we go through life, though, we sometimes see that what we have planned for our lives just doesn't align with what God desires. This is because God knows our purpose for this world more than we can even fathom. There's a famous verse in the book of Jeremiah where God states, For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. He knows everything, and that includes the surprises, wondrous joys, and darkest times of our lives. Yeah, I don't think anyone was expecting to be a part of a worldwide pandemic last year that would change the very foundation of how our society functions. Yet here we are. Um, but God always knew it would happen. He knew how it would affect every single person differently and how it would change the course of all of our lives, including mine. I also don't think it's a stretch to claim that during the tumultuous and unpredictable year that we had last year that we were all yearning for comfort and stability. I know I was, for sure. Um, last year was the darkest and most painful year of my life, as it may have been for many of you. Um, I was reading through some old journal entries that I wrote during this past year, and I described my 23rd year as the biggest snack of adulthood I could have ever imagined. Um, I wrote about how I felt so hopeless and just not good enough as I started to find a full-time job for nine months. <laughs> which included several interviews, many dry spells and no job opportunities, and plenty of rejection. I was crying every day. <laughs> I was extremely hard on myself, and I blamed myself for my lack of just, well, everything desirable. <laughs> um, and I just was completely ignoring the fact that we have and are still in a global pandemic. And now, if I could go back, I would tell myself not to beat myself up as hard as I did, as it only made everything so much worse and it killed my confidence. Moral of the story, just be kind to yourselves. You're not really doing that bad with your <laughs> So, in the midst of trying to figure out how to stay afloat down here, so far away from my family, um, we were hit with the scary situation of my dad being hospitalized with COVID and he was dying from it. Um, I think the worst and the darkest day of my life was when, you know, just trying not to feel completely hopeless and upset about not being able to figure out 
do with my life. But then um, that same day, I went on this family Zoom call saying goodbye to my dad, who was the only ventilator, and we had no idea if he would ever wake up again. Uh, thankfully, he is alive and very healthy as of today. But I pray that no one ever has to experience that. And if you have experienced that, I am truly so sorry. I know how it is. Um, so it makes sense as to why I felt so lonely trying to deal with these scary things with potentially bleak outcomes. Um, in many of my journal entries, I wrote about how I could not hear God and I felt as if he had abandoned me. I know this is a feeling that many of us have and will feel during our walk with him. Even if we stay abundantly faithful to him, we can feel these times of feeling just so distant from him. It got to the point, I didn't want what God wanted for my life. <laughs> Whatever he had planned for me, I wanted to throw it away, just far away, as it already caused me an immense amount of pain and suffering. All I wanted was comfort and stability. Even if that meant living a safe and boring life, moving back home, working a Monday job, doing the Monday things, and living in the biggest safety net imaginable. I do want to make it clear, though, that God does not want us to live a boring and meaningless life. But that is what I thought he wanted for me for a while, after a while. All of these awful things that are happening to me during my 23rd year made me feel like I was meant to live under a rock and never have to experience life. I'm pretty sure we've all felt that way. So yeah, I didn't want to continue on the walk that God had laid down for me. I wanted to take the safe and easier road. At least it meant not as much pain, debatable, and not having the feeling of drowning 24-7, right? Why continue on what God wants from me if it means so much hurt and uncertainty? As I was listening to Father Mike Schmidt's Bible Reader podcast earlier this year, oh yeah, you know, <laughs> um, I listened to one of the episodes, episode 36 to be exact. Um, in this episode, he goes through the passage in the book of Exodus where the Israelites were begging, I mean, begging down back for comfort and stability as they had been going through the desert after leaving their lives as slaves in Egypt. They began to have a lack of faith in God as they were struggling to follow his plan, as it was a long and harsh journey. They even wished at one point that they could go back to their lives as slaves and abandon God's plan because at least there was the comfort and stability of being taken care of, even if that meant being enslaved for the rest of their lives. Even through, even through this difficult time, you know, God still took care of them even if they couldn't see it. Um, Moses also encouraged them to continue on the journey. And if they had not followed God's plan and opted for that safety net that they were really wanting, um, they would still be enslaved. And they would not have been able to accomplish all the incredible things that happened in the Old Testament and eventually bring forth the Son of God. Um, it was after reading and listening to this story that I knew I had to continue on God's plan, even if it was a roller coaster of emotions. <laughs> he never promised us confidence to but we know that He will stay with us through it all and make it into something amazing. But that's the thing God knows us so intimately better than anyone else. It's vital to remember that during the hard days, months, or years, that there is a reason for all this unpredictability and hurt. While God's plan may not be the most comfortable journey at times, uh, we have no idea how much it affects what will happen in the future. We also can't even fathom 
um, the amount of joy that we will experience in the days to come. It's like that verse in Romans that states, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are nothing compared with the glory to be revealed to us. And I felt this joy after finally landing the most amazing job in April. Out of the strangest terms of events, I ended up interviewing for this position at a Catholic nonprofit in the Atlanta area, and I ended up getting the job. It was then when I realized that God had opened that door for me in such a particular way that I can't, I can't, I still can't comprehend it. <laughs> I saw all the suffering that I had to get to to get to that point was worth it. I can confidently say that now. And it's a good thing I didn't opt for that comfort and stability route, because if I had, I would not be able to have this wonderful and humbling opportunity to help others around the world in the job of God's name. Speaking of joy, there's a good example of this in the Bible that can be found in the book of Esther. Now, Queen Esther realized that she was called to save her people, the Jews, who were going to be slaughtered by Haman, the king slash her husband's best hand, like best friend, right hand man. Once she realized that it was God's plan for her to be in this position at this very moment, even if it was scary, she went into action and was able to save her people after exposing Haman's plan to the king. When the Jews found out that they had been saved, they experienced true joy. Even after the difficulties of the past, they were able to trust in their God who did not abandon them and saw how he used Queen Esther as the ultimate instrument for peace. Because she followed God's plan for her life, even if it was terrifying, she and her people were able to experience true joy in the outcome. We may not see it right now as we have gone through a lot of hurt in this past year as a society and church, but there are better days ahead, and we can't even imagine the joy that will follow. Life gives us many challenges, but he does promise that he will be with us during these times. And no matter what, we are guaranteed better days in heaven, which is glorious. Um, following God's will will ultimately and ultimately should be joyful. Um, God wants us to be joyous and does not desire for us to be miserable. A saint that I think of that overcame a lot of suffering yet still found joy is Saint Josephine Bakita. She's the patron saint of modern slavery and human trafficking. By the time she was seven years old, she was captured and sold into slavery a dozen times or so. Her owners were vicious. They would beat her so hard that she would forget her name. Eventually, she was sold to someone who let her stay at a convent after he left. This is where she would eventually become a nun. During her time at this convent, she realized that she was always walking in the light, guided by the one she did not know, who she now knew was God. She experienced his love and saw that the greatest revelation of his love was forgiveness. This is the secret of her inner freedom. She recognized that after all the trauma and awful things that had occurred to her in her, in her young life, it all brought her to God. The amazement of being so loved flowed from her heart as a river of tenderness. When speaking of her enslavement, she often professed that she would thank her kidnappers. For had she not been kidnapped, she might never have come to know Jesus Christ and entered his church. She pursued the good, by ultimately forgiving them. She became free once she learned and began to follow God and see his goodness and mercy. 
In those times where you can't feel God's presence in your life, please cling on to him and pursue him. He is there. I stumbled across this quote earlier this year when I felt as if I couldn't hear or feel God anymore. And it says, if you're going through a hard time and you no longer feel the Lord or see his footsteps beside you, it's not because he left. It's because he's carrying you. That encouraged me so much as it shows that even though you may not be able to feel his presence, that he is there caring for you in more ways than one and more than you can ever imagine. It's the devil who's trying to make you feel lonely and abandoned. Shocker. So, how I decide to get closer to God during this time of feeling isolated from Him is by making Father Mike Schmidt's Bible Mirror podcast my daily devotion for this year. Um, I'm forever behind on the podcast, I'm going to admit. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to take off on these. But, um, but as I listen and take notes on stories from the Bible, such as the one I just mentioned from Exodus, I have begun to understand God as a creator and father so much more. It helped me get closer to him and feel his presence again as I listened to story after story of him um, just being so good and faithful to us throughout history. I realized that he didn't abandon his people back then, he definitely hasn't abandoned us now. The most important thing I realized is that even when humanity messes up beyond measure and completely rejects them, that he still showers us with mercy that we do not deserve. This gets me to the next part of the talk, mercy and forgiveness. A big thing that God wants for our lives is to partake in his mercy that he showers us with. How we receive this mercy is by asking him for forgiveness no matter how big the sin is. Take the story of the woman of the well in the Gospel of John. This Samaritan woman had a bad reputation within her community and was seen as the lowest of low. She was a Samaritan, which was a group of people that the Jews didn't associate with at the time. She lived in shame and as a social outcast, which was depicted as she would collect her water by the well in the afternoon when the women would normally do that together in the morning. She had been married five times and was living with a man who was not her husband. When Jesus approached her, even the disciples were in shock and were weary at what he was about to do and what he was doing. However, Jesus showed her mercy rather than condemning her like everyone else. He knew exactly who she was and all the sins she had committed, yet he still offered her the living water, the gift of salvation. This is how God sees us. It does not matter if we have strayed from him and have committed sins. He still loves us and wants us to accept reconciliation from him. This is a story of God's true mercy. She experienced mercy, which, at its core, is forgiveness. God relieved her suffering when she didn't deserve it. This is what experiencing mercy from God is like. We don't deserve it, but he still wants to shower us with it when we ask for forgiveness. God wants to offer us total freedom, love, and holiness. There tends to be this misconception that if you follow God and you give your life to him, that you're living a strict and cage-filled life with rules and no joy. But saying yes to God means that you are fully trusting in him and giving an uncertain future to a certain God. It means getting to have a close and personal relationship with the creator of the universe and be able to cast all your joys and fears to him. Offering your life to God means that we can give our suffering to Christ and then be free of it and to be able to live in joy even in the midst of pain. God wants that for us. 
This is how he brings us so much joy. We don't need to be anything else but ourselves to be strived to live holy lives. He gives us a straight and purposeful path to follow in a world of uncertainty and darkness. I recently found out that during Holy Week every year, Pope Francis humbly washes and kisses the feet of prisoners. He urges them to help each other instead of being bogged down by their prison sentences and being divided because of that. What Pope Francis does here is a symbol of how God loves us no matter what sin we have committed, big or small. He wants to be a part of this journey with us and to help us along the way. Most importantly, he desires for us to live a life with him and for us to be open about our sins and ask for forgiveness. There is no shame in showing God this vulnerable and personal side of you as he wants to form a relationship with you. Like any solid relationship in your life, you have to be able to let your guard down and be open to sharing that more personal stuff in order for that relationship to blossom into something beautiful. We need to be willing to plant those seeds and be willing to walk alongside them, even if it can be hard. There are many people in the book, such as in the Bible, the only woman, um, such as the woman in the well, who are prime examples of the power of God's mercy. During the Passion and Crucifixion of Christ, Dismas, also known as the Good Thief, was crucified alongside Jesus. He admits to his wrongdoings and knows that he has been punished justly, but that Jesus was unfairly tried. In his final moments, he asks Jesus if he can remember him when he thinks for heaven. It is then when Jesus says, Amen, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What is fascinating is that this is one of the few times, if not the only time, that Jesus tells someone directly that they will be going to heaven when he was still alive. This story is very important to us as followers of God as we join business when we acclaim and as we acclaim Jesus as King. As Catholics, we have the extraordinary gift of receiving the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Confession is a time to think about the sins you have committed and take a step towards receiving God's unconditional love and forgiveness. The act of reconciliation began after Jesus' resurrection when he passed on his mission to forgive sins to his disciples. And in the Gospel of John, he says, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Reconciliation is so important because it is after we confess our sins that they have been wiped clean by the power of God, no matter the sin. We are able to renew ourselves in Christ and live holier lives because of it. He shows us that no matter what we have done, it's never too big or too awful that you cannot receive his forgiveness and outpouring mercy. We can let him into a very vulnerable and ugly part of our hearts and let him take care of us with no shame or embarrassment. Most importantly, going to confession frees us of the bondage that sin traps us in. We are able to break those chains as God erases the sin when we confess. So the definition of mortal sin, according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, is destroying charity in the heart of man by a grave violation of God's law. It turns man away from God, who is his ultimate end and his beatitude, by preferring an inferior good to him. Mortal sin is a radical possibility of human freedom as his love itself. It results in the loss of charity and the provision of sanctifying grace. 
that is, of the state of grace. If it is not redeemed by repentance and God's forgiveness, it causes expulsion from Christ's kingdom and the eternal death of hell, for our freedom has the power to make choices forever with no turning back. So that's a lot to process. Um, <laughs> I actually really like how Scott Hahn explains it. Um, he is a very well-known Catholic author and speaker who wrote a book on the power of confession, and he explains the reasoning and process of reconciliation in the most amazing way I've ever it just as like what a bullet does to our brain, mortal sin does to God's life within our soul. It sucks out that divine life, and it takes us out of eternal blessing. Yes, it is that serious, y'all. When we sin, it is like putting a bullet to our brain. It tears us away from God. And if you ever want to treat your sin or God's love for us lightly, look at the cross for how big of a deal it is. We owed a debt we couldn't pay, and he paid the ultimate price. As humans, we tend to resent our sin instead of repenting while projecting guilt onto others and not accepting it ourselves. We resent because we feel pride, and pride makes us hold on to the justifications for our continued guilt and anger against ourselves and others. The source of all of our sins is pride. If we let it, our sins will just be retained for the rest of our lives and will not dissolve no matter how much time has passed. So how do we defeat this? Well, Pope Francis says to effectively combat this part of our lives is by accepting God's forgiveness. Every time we go to confession, we receive the love of the Father who overcomes our sin. God forgets it and is no longer there. It is if he loses his memory and forgets our sin. What we need to remember is the sacrament of reconciliation is spiritual medicine. God will reach down to you where you currently are and work through you. Think of confession not as a quick fix, but long-term genuine therapy. Sin is more than what we do. It's who we are because of pride. God isn't trying to extract anything from us, but he just wants to simply pour his love and mercy into us when we confess. You don't confess your sins to God to just tell him what you have done. He knows us better than anyone else. So why do we confess when God already knows our sins? You confess so that you know all that he has to heal and how he will go about it. So he can help you become a better person. Pope Francis also encourages us to have courage because with God, no sin has the last word. So Father JP encouraged us to be brutally honest with praying and I encourage you to be brutally honest with confessing. How we can be honest with ourselves and have a genuinely good confession is by confessing the hardest sin first. It'll help with, with not holding back during the rest of the confession. Get it off your chest and I guarantee you're gonna feel way more comfortable telling God about your other sins. No matter how big of a sin it is, it can be forgiven. Don't confess big, like, like, really, really confess. God wants to forgive your sins. So during our free time, we will have priests available for confession. I invite you to examine your conscience and think about the sins you have committed that you would like God to forgive. So to get a head start on this, let's just do like a mini little examination of conscience. Let's think about the seven deadly sins. They are sloth. Envy, pride, greed, gluttony, anger, 
Think about these things and what you would like God to forgive. Think about things you need God's mercy on and how it is time to repent and confess these sins. It is a heavy subject to think about, but it is the beginning of healing your hearts and walking towards freedom, love, and holiness. If you have never been to confession or have not been in a while, don't you even worry. To make it a bit less awkward and more chill, we have two great priests right here who will guide you through the process and make sure that God is ever so present through it. Uh, Father JP, I don't know if Father Michael said that, but they are in the audience and they are here for you. And they will be helping us receive the sacrament of reconciliation today as the Holy Spirit works through them to give you forgiveness and mercy. Also, let's be real about the elephant in the room. Confession can be very awkward and uncomfortable. That is a very normal feeling to have. I have felt it, and still do to this day, if I'm being honest. Um, it takes a lot of courage to get to confessional. That's why I'm so proud of y'all for doing it. I know it may be intimidating to confess your deepest and most ashamed sins to a priest, but please know that when we go to confession, we aren't just going to a priest, but going to God to confess our sins. He's using the priest as an instrument and speaks through them directly to you. Think of what doctors, dentists, dietitians, therapists, pharmacists, etc. do for our physical bodies. That's what Christ in confession does for our souls. Like I said, reconciliation is spiritual medicine, and Christ is the high priest who works through his earthly priest during the sacrament of reconciliation. After you finish your confession, you will most likely want some quiet time to pray the penance that you will receive. We will have an area that you are able to go to and be with the Lord as you rejoice in making your heart anew. How exciting. To end this talk, I would like to end it with a verse that I have gone back to a lot this past year. During difficult times, it can be easy to wonder why certain things had to happen. When Esther realized God's plan for her was to save her people, her cousin Mordecai tells her, who knows, perhaps it was for a time like this that you became queen. It was no mistake that we were meant to be living during this pivotal time. We were born for such a time as this. God knew from the very beginning, and as we now know, his plan is very well we could imagine. Thank you.